0: Today, we are continuing our study through Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're going to be looking at Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. So go ahead and turn there. And in the text today, Paul continues to defend the truth of the gospel that in Christ we are united together with all believers. We are the sons of Abraham, we are his sons through faith. And we don't live under the terms of the Mosaic law. Paul is saying here that there was a purpose and direction to all of this. The giving of the law, the promise to Abraham. God planned to produce one single family from Abraham. The people of the Messiah, the followers of Christ. And he's saying here, this is what this family looks like. This is what the family of Abraham, the family of Christ, looks like. And so let's look at the text together and work through it. Go ahead and stand and follow along as I read verses 26 through 29 of Galatians chapter 3. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for your grace, Lord. Become this morning needy. And yet, at the same time, we come full, and it's all because of your grace. And so, we ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts, help us, give us ears to hear, hearts that are receptive to who you are and all that you have accomplished. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, there's so much here just in the beginning of our text today. Some some things we've already covered. Paul isn't saying anything new here, really. We are all sons of God through faith. Because we are in Christ. Now, we might be tempted to try and not seem too gender-exclusive by saying sons and switching that instead to something like children, or maybe we should say we're all sons and daughters of God through faith, but sons here is intentional, it's purposeful. It's not excluding anyone. In fact, it's a purposeful thing to include everyone. We all should delight that it says sons. What Paul is saying is that we have all obtained the inheritance in Christ through faith. Now, who in this culture gets the inheritance? Only sons get the inheritance. Paul's point here is that all, that all you Galatians, females included, share the inheritance that would normally be restricted to sons. In the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as God's son. Not only that, we learn in in Psalm uh, 2 verse 7, it says, I will tell of the decrees. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now that, that was a statement about the coming Davidic king. And then that same statement is spoken over Jesus at his baptism. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Paul's making a connection here. What was spoken of Israel and the King and then Jesus is now spoken of all who belong to Christ. Believers in Christ are sons who have obtained the promise. They belong to the people of God, and this includes Gentiles. We are all included. We are all participants with Jesus, the true Son. Paul's speaking here of the entire Jesus-believing community as being sons of God in Jesus. You are all one in the Messiah. And if that is true of you, then you are Abraham's offspring, Paul is saying. You're part of the single family of God and you are heirs. Heirs according to the promise that Abraham's family would inherit the world. You get the inheritance, Paul says, because of faith. He's saying to these Gentiles, these Galatians, this is really amazing news, Galatians. This is where you live now because of Christ and because you're trusting Christ. This is now where you live. So why would you ever want to trade that for a prison cell that was the Mosaic law? Why would you ever trade what you have in Christ for that? You have nothing to gain and everything to lose by adding circumcision to your profile, Paul's saying. You would, in doing that, by your actions, you'd be making a statement that the Messiah had not actually won the victory. You'd be saying that Christ is not enough. That we need more. We shouldn't miss the picture here in verse 26 of union. Union with Christ. You're united with one another in Christ, Paul's saying. Now just think of that. You are united with Christ. Union does not and cannot come by observing the law. It comes by faith. Being incorporated into Christ by faith and faith alone. Verse 27 continues. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now how many of you have wondered or asked the question, how do we know How do we know that we are truly in Christ? And Paul gives us an answer here. We know, we know for certain that we are in Christ based on His promise, His promise keeping, and His work. Not ours. We are promise breakers. We can't do any work that would result in making us worthy of eternal life. But if you have been baptized into Christ, you have certainly put on Christ, Paul says. You have put on Christ. It's such an incredible and important statement. You bear Christ. If we have been baptized into Christ, we have been clothed with Him. Now, what does Paul mean here by baptized? Is Paul meaning here the sacrament of baptism where we, in obedience to Christ, go into the water and are immersed in the water as an expression of faith and a display of His saving work in us? It could mean that. It's possible, it's possible that Paul's referring here to that act. If he's referring to that act of baptism, he's certainly not referring to it apart from the faith that's accompanying the act of baptism. He's written this entire letter defending the fact that no work, not circumcision, not obedience to the law of Moses, and certainly not baptism is sufficient to save us we are justified, we're made right before God by faith, all because of and initiated by His grace alone. And so I lean toward believing that rather than referring to the outward act of baptism, which is important and commanded, Paul refers to the inward work of us being immersed, of us being baptized into Christ when we are saved, when we believe we are immersed in into Christ. We're baptized into Christ. Now again, please don't let that sound like I'm lessening the importance of baptism as a believer in Christ. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't lessen the importance of that. Jesus was clear that He intends for disciples, for all disciples of His, to proclaim their faith in Him through the act of baptism. Peter, in the book of Acts, calls for any and all who seek to follow Jesus to respond and repent through the act of baptism. Later in Peter's letter, in his first letter, he says that baptism is an appeal to God for a clear conscience. We can only come away from the scriptures with a respect and an embrace of the importance of being baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. As you consider that act of baptism though, think about it as it would have been expressed and understood in the culture that Paul is writing to and living in. When someone was baptized, the whole town, And certainly, the whole body of Christ would know about it. Everyone would know if someone was baptized. Baptism literally formed a community of people set apart from the world. You consider that. Even as we look back to the text in Galatians, Paul says that if you've been baptized... In fact, all who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're set apart. The word have there is important. Have put on Christ. In the same way as when Jesus says, You are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, he doesn't say there, Start practicing to become the salt of the earth over the course of your life or start working hard to somehow become the light of the... No, he says, I've done this. That's a done, finished work in me. You are salt, you are light. Start acting like it. In the same way here, Paul is saying, you have put on Christ. And there's opportunity and need for action here. If we embrace Christ and believe the gospel that we have put on Christ. And Paul says to the Ephesians that the action of that is putting off the old. In other words, the response to that truth that what God has done in Christ is we have put on Christ. The response to that truth is we then practice it. We put off the old and we put on the new that is Christ. And that's a daily endeavor. We put off those things attached to our former nature, the things attached to the present evil age, and we put on the new, those things that come from knowing Christ and His grace. The things that reflect to the world what He is like. Imagine for a moment, Jesus physically coming to the earth now and living as a human now. And imagine, what would that look like practically? What would the world experience? Or to bring it a little bit in, to bring that circle a little closer so we can think even more practically, what would Westerville or whatever town you live in? What would, what would they experience? What would your neighborhood experience? And I mean, when they encountered Jesus, like when Jesus went to your town or your neighborhood physically, what practical things would they experience? From all that we know from the Gospels, and the pictures and descriptions of what we have of Jesus literally walking among people, what would your neighbors experience? What would the church experience? Whatever those things are, put them on. Put on Christ wear him like a garment so that others might experience the greatness of his love and his mercy and his grace. Continues in verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The people of God, followers of Christ, form a community, a community radically transformed by Christ because they have put on Christ. They are immersed in Christ. They're immersed in his love, they're immersed in his grace. And Paul says there's no distinctions. There's no hierarchy here. All believers are united in Christ regardless of their ethnic background, their social class, or their gender. Uh, Ephesians, Paul writes there that he has broken down the wall of hostility. Paul is clearly not advocating here for some kind of gender neutral existence. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, no matter what your understanding of that text is, he says there that when women pray or prophesy in church, they should visibly appear as women. And that men should appear as men. Here he's saying there's, there's not a distinction In Christ, men don't have a more prominent position in Christ above women. They are equal. They are equal. As it relates to membership in Christ's family, none of these either-or categories matters as far as hierarchy is concerned. These Galatians need to know that. They need to know that entering Christ's family means that they are fully part of Christ. They are fully His. They get all the inheritance. Just as much as a part of Him, part of His family, as the Jews who believe. Just as Abraham was righteous and received the promise. These differences, Jews Greeks, slaves, free, male, female, they're all transcended in a new form of human community. All those who are united to Christ are equal as members of Abraham's family. The church should never be marked by social classes and cliques. We are a place that should reflect the unity in diversity of the body of Christ. We should reflect the unity in diversity of the body of Christ. We are co-heirs of the promise of Abraham. Therefore, Jews are not superior to Gentiles. Those who are free are not more important than slaves, and men are not worth more than women. We have failed in this so often. How often in this country, as well as throughout history, have we neglected this truth? Christians have marred the image of Christ and the gospel by one ethnicity treating another as inferior. And Christians nodding. one group owning another and treating them as inferior, men treating women as lesser individuals created for their own pleasure rather than equals in Christ. If we are to put on Christ, if we have put on Christ, then we must renounce these kinds of actions in our hearts, our actions, our communities, and our churches. One of our values is meant to reflect this point of unity that Paul expresses to the Galatians. Gospel diversity is one of our values. Revelation 7, 9 tells us that God is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and people group. Therefore the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly good news for every person on earth knowing that God is sovereignly built cornerstone in the community of Westerville, Ohio, our desire is that we would grow to reflect the racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, and generational diversity of our city. We therefore commit to actively pursuing, engaging, and welcoming all people with the hope that our church body would reflect the beauty of this diversity. I want you to consider for a moment how world-altering what Paul wrote here would have been for anyone in his culture to read it. As much as we've talked about circumcision and the Mosaic law in this sermon series and how Paul is saying over and over, don't hope in that. How they can do nothing to save these Galatians or anyone else, how Christ came and it was through faith in Christ alone that we are saved. We dare not brush aside the reality for these rival teachers and for all the Jewish followers of Jesus. You read Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. And the one truth you come away from that chapter with is they loved the law. They loved the law. Just a few of the verses in Psalm 119. Just listen to what the psalmist writes on behalf of... Of the people. Verses 14 through 16. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in them. Verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. Verses 47 and 48, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 70, their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. They loved the law. And so, for Paul to come and say to them, not this way, but in Christ, in Christ alone is your salvation, is a world-altering statement. That's a world altering sermon. They have lived their whole life in one direction. Not only that, women were not equal to men in their culture. Slaves were not equal to those who were free. Paul is teaching them the truth. Truth found in the love and grace of Jesus, but it would have been hard for them to hear it hard to believe, it would have turned their world upside down. So this is not an easy teaching that Paul is bringing to especially the Jewish believers and and these rival teachers that he's coming against in this letter. He continues, verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. It's not an easy teaching, but what a balm for these Galatians and for all others who hear and believe the truth. You are all one in Christ. And if you are in Christ and you are the seed of Abraham, these Galatians are full members of Abraham's family, based solely on Christ, on the one true gospel. The main thing that this whole letter addresses is who belongs to the family of Abraham, who belongs truly to the family of God. These Galatians are uncircumcised uncircumcised, and as much a part of God's family as Abraham and all of the Jews together ever will be. What a blessing and joy to know that that is true of us. And so I want to ask you a few questions to consider before we move into taking the Lord's Supper together. The first is this, have you put on Christ? Have you put on Christ? Do you know him? And are you his child? Is that hope based on what you think you have done or based solely on what Christ has done? Are you a son of God through faith? Or are you hoping in works like the rival teachers were hoping and teaching? If you're hoping in him alone, then you are immersed in Christ, you have spiritually put on Christ, you bear him, you wear him. And so are you reflecting that? Would others say that you are wearing Christ? And in light of verse 27, have you been baptized to demonstrate that reality to other people? That in obedience to Jesus, you would say to others, He is mine and I am His. I have put Him on all by faith. Let me ask you a few more questions. How well are you loving as Christ loves? Do you count others, no matter their ethnicity, social status, or gender, as more significant than yourself, as Paul writes to the Philippians? Or do you tend to look down on others that are different from you? Putting on Christ reveals itself in how we treat others. Jesus says that, right? They will know. And he's talking about the world. They will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. And Paul addresses this very thing in light of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. People were treating others as less than themselves and hurrying in to take the symbols that are meant to reflect Sacrifice of Christ. And Paul says, No way, don't do that. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. In 1 Corinthians 11, in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we come to prepare our hearts and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, let's renounce those thoughts and attitudes that count others less significant than ourselves and embrace what comes with putting on Christ. Counting others as more significant. Even as we seek to display his sacrifice and love through taking the bread and the cup together. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for grace. Grace. It is grace that saves us. To think that you, the God of the universe, would make a way us who are promise breakers to simply hope to have faith in your son Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross through suffering and death and then being raised to life Lord to give us new life salvation forgiveness forgiveness To redeem us, Lord, through faith in the work that Christ has done, Lord. That's grace that we cannot comprehend. And Lord, we don't want to fall for the folly of trying to do enough to please you. We want to be people who truly believe. Who truly believe, Lord. Lord. And in our believing, we believe that we have put on Christ because you said we have. You did that. And so, Lord, we want to respond as people who live in light of that truth. We want to reflect Jesus. We want to display, Jesus, your love for others. We want to walk in newness of life. We want to be humble. We want to be people who love you with our heart and mind and strength. And we want to be people who love others as much as we love ourselves. And so help us, Father. And even in this time where we, we take the bread and we take the cup as symbols reminding us of the great work of Christ on the cross. We acknowledge that in that work was a self-denial and a sacrifice. And that if we have put on Christ, then that is what our lives should look like. So help us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen.